Welcome to the Reality Sports Online's First Four Reigns podcast, all about reality. I'm Matt Goodwin. I can reach the Twitter at, at MattGoody2. Here with Luke Patrick, fellow RSO writer. Luke, welcome. Thanks, Goody. Luke Patrick here. I can be found at FantasyDocOc on Twitter. And yeah, man, I'm, I'm happy to get this started with you. Let's do this. Yeah, I, I'm pretty excited, especially because it's going to be really all about reality sports online. We're not going to talk about redraft leagues. We're not going to talk about what our favorite sandwich is, whether a hot dog is a sandwich or anything else like that. We can get into that maybe with some Twitter questions, you know, down the line. But this is really going to be about the platform, something I, I think we both love and, pl- and play a lot. <laughs> and it's really for many things I do play now. And I've been searching for something like this for a while. So um, want, want to talk a little bit about why we feel this is a very reality sports online is a very unique platform um, with a ton of customization for those who haven't joined yet and are kind of kicking the tires of heard things. So um, first off, I just kind of want to know what Luke, what, what your thoughts are about really what makes platform unique in terms of league setup, customization, things that things that you like, maybe that you haven't tried in leagues, things that um, you, you think are definitely unique and, and what brought you to the platform. Yeah, I was thinking about that as we started to talk, and truthfully, my favorite aspect of it was when my friend reached out to me and said, let's get a league that'll draw our best friends together, keep them talking year-round, keep them involved, um, and he, he showed me the platform and showed me the auction room and basically introduced me to the idea that contracts mean that you're going to be trading all year-round, and that's really my favorite part of fantasy is like reaching out, hitting up your friends, figuring out what's going on. So that ultimately is what persuaded me to like join Reality Sports Online. I fell in love with the platform, wrote to the guys who wrote, and they were always responsive every time I asked them a question about this, the customization, and they're really behind it. And so that's, that's what drew me deeper in. The cool thing is on Twitter, as you know, people talk about all sorts of things that I wasn't familiar with the first time I went around on Fantasy. I'm talking about uh, like IDP, talking about Dynasty, talking about other things that when I was just a redraft player. And frankly, our Reality Sports Online allows you to customize with each one of those options. And so I don't think it takes away anything and it adds that contract level in a way that isn't understood or, or other platforms don't have that capacity. Though. So that's kind of what I fell in love with. And so, yeah, that's where I'm at. That's, where, that's why I, I kind of came home to Reality Sports Online. Yeah, no, I'm 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 definitely hooked, and and for for me, I mean, my main league is, and I've written about it a little bit before, but I mean, this is really kind of follows the mantra of the NFL being a passing league. Quarterbacks, if they get half a point for completion, negative half a point for incompletions. If they take sacks, it's negative points. Interceptions are negative five. So so you really want to vote, you know, in leagues, you really want to look and see how your scoring system some of your strategy especially you go the two quarterback super flex route which we're in in the expert slash writers league so um i mean i think there's a ton of unique opportunities to score this thing a little bit less traditional than than, than some redraft leagues or other platforms so that, that's something that's drawn me and, and, and i mean we have some crazy scoring games in the 300s in our main league. And, and I love it. I mean, Steven Wendell, you know, the one of the co-founders along with Matt Papson of reality sports online, both do leagues with them. It, it's, it's a lot of fun. And so I, I really love to talk about kind of the, the customization, the strategy involved um, trade-off decisions and, and things like that. And, and, and I think that evolves over time. And I think you and I were talking about this, you know, offline a couple of weeks ago when we were kicking around the podcast idea, but really the life cycles of leagues and, and the contract based system really, you know, in, in the years involved really kind of get people going on, on strategy and, and different things that they have to really think about as leagues evolve. So I kind of wanted to maybe talk about some real life examples of, of that life cycle and contracts and, and things of that nature, but wanted to see what you had to say about the, the league life cycle and where you are maybe in some of your leagues. Sure. Let's talk about that. When you initially come into the reality sports online auction room, right? One of the fascinating things is in that auction, 
it separates itself and differentiates itself because you and your commissioner and your league mates have decided how many contracts of what length you have available to you as you enter into a season. And typically for a startup league, I think the default setting puts you at one four-year contract, um, two three-year contracts, and three two-year contracts. And obviously you can expand that, uh, make those greater or fewer, depending on whether or not you want that to be the case for your initial setup. I actually like those default settings because it allows you a little bit more roster flexibility moving forward. Um, but yeah, so you're in this auction room, you have a few few of these extended contracts available to you. And then once you use those, kind of once you shoot your shot on those, then you are you're it's a it's a pretty straightforward auction. You're just bidding guys on one year contracts. So that can be uh, just like any auction, if you've if you've gone really high and you don't you don't have a lot of your NFL salary cap left to you, then then you're gonna be scrambling for a lot of guys at the $500,000 minimum veteran contracts. And, um, but yeah, like, as you know, you, you've gone into that auction before. Talk to me about what, what you felt like that first time you looked at it and where were you, where, where you were trying to gauge, like who were you throwing a four-year contract at? I think that's in some ways the most exciting thing, right? You're going after your guy. So who are you coming for? Yeah, that, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, th- I, I think when I, I think I've, I've kind of evolved from being conservative to more liberal on this as we've gone along. I mean, the first year that I did it, there were some bad contracts, multi-year, and including the same team. So, you know, one team got C.J. Spiller and Trent Richardson at the same time. Um, I I was pretty much my first year trying to focus on not signing any really long-term bad deals. And, um, you know, at the time, I, I grabbed someone like Colin Kaepernick, who, I, you know, had a lot of upside coming off of a big playoff game against the Packers. And, and, you know, ultimately that didn't end up working. I was able to trade him in the second year. But as my, as my leagues have evolved, we, we've, you know, I, I know some people are like in their second league. And, the, you know, I know you're a big proponent of cap space, Luke. And, and I am too for, for, certain, for certain circumstances. But it really depends on what that cap space buys you and, and, and what that free agent pool looks like. I mean, I'm getting to the point where our auctions are so competitive. A guy like Antonio Brown went for – $55 million a year on a four year deal last year. And it really, I mean, it cash strapped a team who was going for kind of, you know, back to back championships. Um, but, you know, ultimately, you know, it was, it, it, it's a good buy for the production. And I, I think things will only get kind of crazier over time. So that's what kind of makes the strategy very interesting with in terms of like the fifth year rookie extension for first rounders that just came out. And the trade-offs involved with that. And there are definitely trade-offs. I, I think also just with the number of, you know, multi-year extensions that teams have. And then if there's any other type of creative off-platform things, like for instance, our league, and I don't know if we're going to keep it, but last year we did a post 24-hour post-auction where you can convert any, you know, minimum player to a minimum player of multiple years just to kind of give <laughs> – give someone an ability to in case you threw out someone and there wasn't an auction a a bidding process for that player but i mean you really have to be careful in certain ways too because these contracts basically are, are can be pretty restrictive not only just on your roster spots but what you have left in the next year's auction you may have the cap space but you know in a heavily competitive auction you may be overpaying for guys, you know, for instance, Greg Olson went for two years, 50 million in, in our auction last year, just when, when the free agent pool becomes slim, as you vote as a league to res- to have more multi-year contracts, more rookie drafts um, rounds, for instance. And it gets to the point where you're really having to start to make some priority decisions on how many roster spaces, how many Debbie guys you're really carrying. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Let's speak to that for a moment. As Okay. Users of the league know that the salary cap each year is set to the NFL salary cap, which is a fun and for the for the fantasy nerd and all of us, it, it again is another one of the things that pulls in your heartstrings and lets you feel like a real general manager. And so when you're talking about me being a proponent of cap space, when you're talking about roster size starting to weigh in on you two or three years into it, let's speak to a couple things. That first year you're going in and you have a wide open blank slate in front of you. You're sitting there tabula rasa. All you have is money and space to spend. But three years in, and you're a little bit further along in your home league than we are in the experts league, um, 
three, four years in, tell me about what happens when you're sitting on a guy like a Greg Olson, for example, who like if he's really sitting there eating up 25 million of that 178, is your priority with that to keep him on your roster or are you trying to move him off your roster in order to clear up that cap space and take a run at another player? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I mean, I think it really, you know, depends on what else you have. But if you feel like you've overextended yourself in an auction, I, I'm a big fan and I've done it before. And I think my league has kind of been responsible for some platform shift on this. But like trading a player or just giving a player away if somebody's willing, because there may be a team that may have a need for a guy like that and is willing to eat the cap space and basically say, hey, I don't want to compete against auction dynamics. I know that Greg Olson is, you know, maybe still a top five tight end, 25 million. Yes, it's probably more than I want to spend, but I'm one piece away from having a roster that I feel I'm comfortable with. I don't, you know, at least I'm getting my player in that scenario. So sometimes like I, I've given away in the experts league. I, I mean, sadly, I gave away Mark Ingram last year, I think to, to create some cap space. And that was a mistake. And, and so sometimes you have to worry about, acting a little too rash with that or you know for instance with Matt Papson I I traded I, I was interested in I would have p- picked Deshaun Watson at 2.06 in the rookie draft and we had our rookie draft offline which I highly recommend to everybody it creates a very dynamic trade market and less time pressure <laughs> so you do that maybe over the course of a week depending on how many rounds you have um I, I he he knew I was trying to get rid of Sterling Shepard to create some cap space for the upcoming auction and so he offered me just a trade down of picks from like 2.06 to 2.09 and, and willing to take Sterling Shepard's salary, which wasn't even that much. Say I think it was like $8.8 8 for this year. But that was enticing to me. I made the move. He, <laughs> he used the pick to get Deshaun Watson. I waited a couple picks later, got Deshaun Kaiser, you know, playing for my Browns, a little bit of a homer pick. And uh, we, we all see how that kind of worked out. <laughs> so in that case, like in hindsight, you know, I probably would have rather just had the had the cap constraints and still had my pick. And and so that's what you see in these life cycles. You see how the value of, of rookie draft picks, for instance, changes over time. Um, I, I think especially with that fifth year extension option now, there there's definitely some pluses to to hang for teams to hang on to their first round picks. And, and and I mean, even when a guy like Saquon Barkley is, you know, an overwhelming favorite to be 1.01, I, I think that there's a lot, <laughs> a lot of things where, I mean, we're not seeing nearly the activity in our main league in the offseason from a trade market perspective. And I think that some of that's a consolidation of a few teams having a lot of the picks and we're only a two round league. But I, I think some of that also is just people really seeing the depth charts, what the combine's doing, like where where these players end up on these, on these rookie contracts too. Cause it, it's not just having a talent, you know, a talent, a guy like uh, Darius Geis or Nick Chubb or something. It's like, what situation are they going into? You know, I think that's what made Kareem Hunt pretty attractive to some owners last year. And we'll get, we'll get into rookies a little more. We'll have Bob Cowper on. It's just really our RSO rookie expert, but you know, down the line as the draft gets closer, but I, I think there's just so, so much game theory involved with, with not only league cycle, but how you, how you're valuing guys. So you want to get into, should we get into some specifics on maybe, you know, kind of call it like player cap space, call it five guys. We'll do this from time to time and, and, and see whether you'd rather have the player or the cap space and why. Absolutely. Let's talk about that. And just to be clear, uh, the way to, to allude to that game theory that you talk about the uniqueness of reality sports online platform our great cto kyle english the chief technology officer has done a good job of tiering rookie salaries to depend on where you select them right so the absolute value of saquon barkley at 1.01 in a dynasty league right now it cannot be overstated right like i have obj sitting on a team in a regular dynasty league and that wasn't even getting a sniff at saquon and that's crazy to me a little bit but in a reality sports online league, the, those picks take on a different character precisely because you get a player on your team for four years and now potentially five with the new um, rookie contract option. And so so a player like Saquon Barkley is going to be cost controlled just like he would be in the NFL in a way that, say, 
LaShawn McCoy would not be if you're competing against the market dynamics of the auction each year as it rolls around on the league schedule. And so that's why that, those picks become so much more valuable, both as leverage in your own league. And as you say, you can also use them to kind of uh, act as a chisel to carve off those terrible contracts on your own team. You can say like, look, I'm going to, I'll hook you with Allen Robinson and his gimpy knee for the rest of the season at $35 million. If I throw in a first round pick and people are more willing to take that. And it, it just, again, fires up trading in a way that I don't think other leagues allow us to. So that's what we're going to talk about now, right? Like this, this is what we're going to into. Do we more, want a player more or the cap space? You have some guys in mind. So let's break those down. Yeah, I, for the first one I'm gonna th- I'm gonna throw out to you is, is Jameis Winston. Um, just just for um, Kyle had given us some information heading into this podcast. Just basically 2017 auction values, so annual player values for you know average. I, I'm not gonna get into what the lengths were, but um, for instance, so Jameis Winston last he's let in last year's auction went for an average of 12.3 million dollars a year. Um, on contract and and the question is let's let's assume just not a super flex league or you you can even talk about super flex league too if you want but i think in the interest of time maybe we'll steer clear of that for the most part um let's talk about Jameis winston would you rather have 12.3 million dollars or Jameis winston as as your qb1 in a league yeah, this one was the most breathtakingly easy for me of all of them. I don't like Winston as a player. I don't like Winston's uh, situation, though. It's gotten better, I think, to some extent this offseason. And, and, um, but with, with Dirk Cutter calling plays, I'm not sure I'm a believer in what he's doing. Uh, and so the long story short for me, though, is especially in single quarterback leagues, as you, as you designate for us here, I can't fathom spending that much on a quarterback. And, and you and I might differ radically on this, but um, it's one of the reasons why I like the super flex option now because quarterbacks aren't devalued so heavily. But I I tend to roll with the best of the minimum contract bunch in order to build out and flesh out the other parts of my roster when I'm playing in reality sports online. And like last year that worked out for me. It was a Kirk Cousins who was – you know, not considered to be amongst the top 12, 14 quarterbacks. And I was able to secure him for a minimum veteran contract. And so, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine myself keep continuing to click that button and driving that price higher on a quarterback, much less one that I don't care for. What do you think? Yeah, I I think I'd pass on Jameis Winston too. I mean, I I think he has some intriguing weapons, you know, Mike Evans, um, maybe Deshaun Watson, uh, sorry, not Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Jackson, bounces back a little bit, but I, I just, I, yeah, I don't, I don't kind of trust the makeup that offense, um, even with kind of a porous defense. I, I mean, I think he's kind of like, right, you know, right in the middle of the quarterback mix QB 15, maybe. And he has, he has some upside, but I, I'd, I'd, I'd rather have the space there to be, to be short. Sounds good. Now the, the next guy that we should take a look at, uh, and I think he's intriguing, precisely because he helps us to highlight the rookie values and, and what that's going to look like is, is Houston running back Lamar Miller. He of once dolphin fame that we were all excited when he was going to be fed in Houston. And then he was fed and it just made us sad because he was a consistent RB two and never exploded in the way that we hoped. So Lamar Miller, as you say, in Kyle's in the data, we scrapped for uh, scraped, pardon me from the, uh, from the leagues across the RSO platform comes rings in at, at an annual salary of about 15 million per year so is that somebody that you want on your team at 15 million per year yeah um I, I mean that in that particular case um i'm i'm gonna hold and at least wait especially if i'm in a league that you know like my home league doesn't really make doesn't lock the off season until august you know where rookie draft is in august and then they and then an auction is you know typically around Labor Day or whatnot. Um, I, I really want to know more about A, Dante Foreman's health. Um, B, are they, are they bringing in any other guys in the draft or, or, or the auction? I, I mean, I, I think on its face, given what his performance has been in the past and, and what the amount of competition that, that's there, I, I would tend to not be excited about paying him 15, 15 million. I mean, running backs in different leagues get get expensive, so I get that. 
Um, but I, I think there's some kind of middle range guys who I think have a more carved out role who, I, I mean, I think we're going to talk about it some in a little bit too, that I, that I just think probably have some more upside, but I, I'm not necessarily cutting him and getting half the cap space back yet, especially if I have a longer term commitment on it. But I, if I could get somebody to take him fairly easily without dangling, you know, first round capital on it and maybe even second round if I'm in one of those leagues that has deeper than second round, I, I am kind of looking to move Miller. You, you raise an interesting point there. When you spoken to this again, our first go around, we're, we're dropping these terms for the first time. But when you and I talk about cutting a player, it doesn't come without penalty like it would in a dynasty league or a redraft league. You drop Lamar Miller at 15.1 million average per year. You're looking at 7 million, half million this year still on your cap, even while he floats off into the, into the other. And so like what we're faced with is a, is a question about whether or not we want an asset that will potentially produce at 15 million or nothing in order to free up 7.5 million in cap to go to chase some other asset. And that's where I kind of sit with Lamar Miller. Now I agree with you. I, I, I might even think that Dante Foreman is the better player after, after last year. Um, but I don't know with those Achilles injuries and, and 15 million tends to be a fair price for a running back, depending on your format. I think if you're looking at a two running back league, uh, and especially if there's if you get fun with those flex positions um, and you can go up to three or four running backs, an RB2 suddenly becomes a really valuable thing to have. And if you think he's going to continue to perform in the RB2, 15 million is going to be is going to be a fair price for him. So I too would hold him. I'm not rushing to get him off my roster. But I'm praying that I either invested in Dante Foreman in the in the rookie draft or that Bill O'Brien and company aren't chasing new blood and fresh blood out there in Houston. Yeah, no, I, I think we're on the same page there. Uh, let, let's move on to the tight end position, which is, which can be valuable depending who you have, but um, someone who kind of fits like right in the middle. And just, just for perspective, um, the top five average of – 2017 auctions was 13.8 million at the tight end position. What do you think about Jordan Reed at 13.3 million now, now with Alex Smith um, throwing him the rock? Yeah. So I like Jordan Reed as a player. I love that guy. I'm in the DC area, not a Redskin fan, but I, he's Jordan Reed a couple of years ago. He was one of those players that helped carry me through the playoffs. So you always have affection for guys like that, um, that are, that are, are balling out for you when you need them the most. I, it's been tragic, of course, to see him get his bell rung so many times, and I, I think he's actually instructive because, as you point out, thirteen point eight million is the top five tight ends averaged across RSO leagues. I think if you're, I think that's a very fair price to pay for Jordan Reed if you consider his talent in the top five. Unfortunately, at this point, I think, much like a quarterback. I'm either going big, I'm going at either at the top end of that range where I'm trying to spend all that I have on the Kelsey, the Gronk, the uh, Zach Ertz, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go dumpster diving on tight end and try to chase the upside of some of these new guys like George Kittle or Gerald Everett. I don't know that I'll ever find myself in the market for a mid-range guy like Jordan Reed or Greg Olson. How about you? Yeah, I, I think Reed has a lot of upside, but I, I, a, I don't want to be bringing him in on a multi-year contract. I'd rather, I, especially, same thing with Gronk at this point. Like, if if I'm picking up someone like that in the auction, I, I'm I'm buying one-year deals, and then I'll just option them with the franchise tag. I mean, I think the tight end is probably the the position that's the most easily and efficiently, from a cost perspective, franchise tagable. And I, I mean, I, I'm saying this as someone who grabbed Gronk in his in the first year of our league as like a 226 contract because he had like back and knee surgery the year before, and basically I knew I, he was missing games to start the season. But it, I mean, that price has gone up to 25, 30 million dollars a year for for Gronk across most leagues. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you on on the position that until that position is you know the top five, of that position is routinely performing kind of on par with top 10 top 15 receivers i i don't value that 
position that much. I do like Reed as a player. I do think that Alex Smith, you know, throws to the middle of the field a lot to tight end. So I, I do think Reed is capable of a, of a really nice season. Um, I, the concussions do scare me. So I, you know, I, I think that if I could get, I think Reed is a guy who has standalone value who a team may want. So I think you could get another asset in, in a deal that either can save you cap space or <laughs> that you'd be happy about potentially. So, I, I mean, I think Reed, Reed's a good trade candidate to get some type of value as long as you're not selling low. If not, you know, he's the type of guy who you can move if he produces. Yeah, Goody, let me, let me push on you for a second. You did get a you, – you netted – Gronk at a really good value because of concerns about knee and back injury. And I precisely want to ask you about that because as I've entered a few more of these leagues, one thing I've started to consider is um, obviously the contracts get cheaper the longer you spread out the payout over four years. And one feature of RSO is that when a, when a player retires, then you're not on the, on the hook anymore for that player's contract. Do you have a, a feeling about the etiquette of, let's say you're chasing Gronk for that two-year, $25 million range, and I have no desire to pay him that, and I think it's more likely that we see him in the WWE in the near future than the NFL, but I want him for this year, so I'm going to spend my four-year contract knowing that I'm probably never going to have to pay out the back three on that. Talk to me about the etiquette. Do you think that's like a fair way for me to approach the auction? Do you think that's a wise use of my four-year contract resource on a player like a Jordan Reed or a Gronk who's probably like – who are both probably one significant hit away from retirement? Um, but if I'm going all in, do you, do you think that's fair for me to do, to use the four-year that way? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's an interesting strategy. But I, I, I don't know that the, the retirement thing is – I think that varies by league actually. Um, in terms of like what league constitutions say and how lenient like the individual commissioners are on that. So I, I don't really want to give, I, I'm not comfortable really giving guidance on what a particular league would do. I think most good leagues that if a player genuinely files retirement papers, which is almost impossible to find online, but yeah, we like, discovered that, right? It, like that is not an easy get to find yeah, retirement like, papers. You know, outside of knowing someone who, you know, who works in the NFL league office or something, I, I, I think that, you know, that someone's reasonably retired and not planning on, on coming back, you know, then you do, you know, a, a good league, I think, would grant that person amnesty. Um, at the same time, I, I don't think people would be, you know, pr- it would be prudent to use. I think you got, have to use your four-year contracts on guy, uh, especially if you only have one, on somebody that you're really excited about who plays a, a premium position. And, you know, that it could be an established star or somebody that if you're taking a leap of faith of somebody that you think is just going to break out, that is outside of that rookie realm. Well, let's let's talk about an established star at a premium position. And even though his star might be fading a little bit and the buzz around him is really, really negative this offseason, but it looks like his real life GM and owner, Jerry Jones, is going to re-up him in a cowboy uniform ringing in at 20.9 million uh, annual per year across the reality sports online platform. He's certainly not performed to that level uh, last year, checking in below wide receiver three status. So talk to me about Des Bryant. If he's on your team, are you, are you hanging on to him at 20.9 million? Yeah. I, I mean, definitely not. Um, I, I'm just at the point where I mean, I've seen enough. I mean, I had Des Bryant on my team last year. I kind of, made like a franchise tag trade and, and grabbed Bryant and a first round pick in the process and, and traded AJ green, who was expiring for me thinking I, you know, just get two assets in the same cap space um, for, you know, a one player who I, who I thought was better, but I thought that does Bryant was going to have a big year last year. And I, I just, I, I don't, the chemistry is not there with Dak from what I can see. Um, I, I also, if I'm paying at this point, does Bryant is kind of putting up like, like a touchdown dependent tight end type stats. And, and I can't spend $20.9 million on that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, like, I, I don't know that I could spend that type of money on Tyler Eifert or Zach Ertz. So why, why am I spending it on Des just because he gets, you know, 150 targets and, <laughs> and catches half of them if he's lucky. I, I mean, 
tremendous talent, but he hasn't cracked a thousand yards in a while. I, I just, I, I want to go more dynamic and, and younger at the positions. I, and I just don't think he, he has the, the quarterback confidence, the, the volume or anything else. So let's think next level as a reality sports online general manager. You've got Des Bryant sitting on your roster at 20.9 million. You don't like him. If you put that name out there at 20.9 million, do you think any good owner is coming to get him with like a second round pick? Are you going to have to pay a pick to unload that contract? Where do you think that, what do you think that 20.9 million looks like to the market right now? Yeah. I mean, I I think that the first strategy probably is if you're, if you're the owner of Des Bryant, you try to shop him for a late pick. If no one's budging on the late pick, but maybe has interest in the player, it's, it's a potential just giveaway situation like where you get the whole cap relief. I mean, you know, if, if he has more than one year, it's not necessarily viewed as a good thing. So if if you have him for multi multiple years, like, you know, and someone offers to take him off your hands, I, I'm kind of in favor, you know, for nothing, I'm kind of, I'm definitely in favor of it. If it's, if it's a one year situation or, and you can get some asset that you believe in, I, I think you do it. Um, sometimes it could be a player that, you know, say someone offers you Deshaun Jackson for Des Bryant. You're, you're not happy about Deshaun Jackson, but he caught, you know, Des Bryant is 21 million and Deshaun Jackson's 12. Maybe just take that nine savings and, and then say, if you want to cut Deshaun Jackson, then you split that the, the rest of his 12 into another six. And so then you're saving 15 net if you cut Deshaun Jackson. So I, I'd be looking at a deal similar to that, I think. Yeah, I think that's well but said. I'm, I'm, I, yeah, but I I'm think not you're right on the, on the nose there. I, I don't think there's not a lot of guys with their hand up looking for Des Bryant at this moment, though most of us, regardless of where we live, you're West Coast, I'm East Coast, and for some reason they, they claim to be America's team. There's a lot of Cowboy fans, and, and occasionally you can you can play on the idiosyncrasies of your league mates to like to really try to capitalize on those things. So. Yeah, no, definitely. Let's let's talk about one more player. And this is somebody I've actually had some decision-making to do this offseason on. But um, Demarius Thomas um, in Denver, $14.4 million, So significantly less than Daz. You know, in all likelihood, probably has one or two years left on, on, his, on his RSO-type contract and same thing on his real-life contract. Just got Case Keenum in the mix to throw him the ball. What do you think? Well, here's the deal. I actually, I like Demarius Thomas more as a player than I do Des Bryant. I think he's shown more um, and shown more consistently. And frankly, despite John Elway's protestations that Case Keenum was their guy all along, let's be clear. We know that, that my beloved Minnesota Vikings were, were not ever going to prioritize Case Keenum, who they knew well and had for an entire season over Kirk Cousins, which is a shame. I think Keenum is a good player and good for what he is. And I frankly think he doesn't necessarily prop up the value of Demarius Thomas and Manny, but I think he is a better option than anybody that was throwing to him last year. And I don't think most people are going to argue that. And maybe what we see is a little bit of a return to form for DT or Manny. Um, he did prop up both Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs in Minnesota. And so at 14.4 million, I'm thrilled if Demarius Thomas is on my roster. I don't know that I'm going to get a better asset than him for that cash. And I'm not going to go chasing a fanciful asset knowing that DT at worst, I think his floor is a, is a wide receiver of three and a pretty consistent one. And his ceiling, he might, he might spike back up into the, into the high wide receiver two range again. What about you? Yeah, I, I've faced this specific situation, albeit at a $23.7 million for one year um, on Demarius Thomas. And I, I was looking to move him in the offseason, even though I, th- I thought that Cousins had a decent shot of, of going there. And I do have Cousins as my quarterback for, for this last year under contract. Um, and I, sh- I shopped Demarius Thomas and the best offer, I, I was really looking for a, a future second rounder because I have a, a, a three good picks this year in the top. I have three of the top 13 picks in a 12-team league in two rounds. So I, I, I didn't really want more draft picks this year, but I was look, figuring Demarius Thomas could net me that cap savings and get me a second rounder in 19. And 
that that remains to be seen from my league mates who knows who's going to be listening to this. But um, I, the best offer I really got for Demarius Thomas was basically giving him away to another team. And, and while there's some premium players in the auction this year, I, I just I couldn't wrap my head around giving up somebody who I did think was still a fantasy starter for me. And in my league, and when we were talking about customization of leagues, I'm in a league that starts one running back. And, and basically, cause we, you know, like I said, we kind of, when we created this, we, myself and my co-commissioner decided that, you know, the NFL is really a passing league. So you want it more dynamic, more potential for receivers and flex positions. So we have three flex positions in that league. And, and I think Demarius Thomas will make a good one of those. I, I have Mike Evans, uh, you know, on a likely extension this summer. I've already franchise tagged him. I have Allen Robinson on a super cheap contract. I, to, um, that I extended him last year, two years, ten million. I have Cooper Cup on a second round rookie deal, um, you know, and I have Stephon Diggs at about ten, eleven million dollars a year. So I, I think Demarius Thomas is still pretty good, and I still have a, a good amount of cap space to get some impact players and one point oh four and one point oh five and two point oh one in the rookie draft this year. So I I think I had a decent amount of assets and. I just couldn't in my head at the time really justify giving up Demarius Thomas, even at a cap number. You know, he went last year's auction earlier than like he was thrown out a little earlier than Antonio Brown. But I'm I'm not quite there. I wasn't quite there on Demarius Thomas. But it, actually, that brings me to a good point about the auction and, and the timing of when players are submitted in the auction. I think last year, Antonio Brown was the prize piece in our auction and my home league's auction. And I think it altered some owner strategies who thought that they were going to do everything possible to get him and didn't get him. So I think that changed how they were to bid on other players earlier. So I know the strategy typically is not to throw out a player you like <laughs> right away because then it may bid up, bid up something that you would think would otherwise go under the radar. But when you're talking about a premium player, Sometimes you want to just know whether you have that player or not. Maybe your whole off-season strategy is decision tree, you know, as it was in my friend's case. Like, did I get Antonio Brown, yes or no, and then go from there. And when you didn't get Antonio Brown, you were expecting to with Buku cap space, then it, it just, you know, it shouldn't throw you off for the rest of the auction. <laughs> you know, you should – and this guy still won the league, um, you know, made some good moves, like – at the time probably overpaid for Larry Fitzgerald on a one year, like $35 million contract. And, and for those of you new to RSO reality sports online, don't necessarily fear. Everyone thinks that, Oh, we're in a dynasty, you know, the super dynasty league where we're carrying plays players over. And I want to hoard multi-year contracts. Sometimes taking a, a shot at a one year guy, even if they're aging, can be a really good strategy mixed in with kind of your core, multi-year guys so that's not necessarily a bad thing um you know and, and you can you can win with having a lot of cap space carry over from year to year yeah goody we'll, we'll we will speak to that certainly on a, on a future episode together i think it is absolutely true that approaching our first year playing together in the writers slash expert league my approach to the league as treating it as more of a dynasty league than a, than a one year or two year window to pursue success really cost me because it altered my typical strategy. And you, I got to push back a little bit. You talk about this being a passing league. We finally saw running back carries spike up again last year. We finally saw creative offensive coordinators start to use running backs as receivers out of the backfield, altering the landscape a little bit. Um, and we finally saw some real grinders like Leonard Fournette come into significant value. Um, and so to perhaps tell our listeners about when we when you alter that format or when you make multiple flex options, I think it's fun to leave open the strategy and the pathway forward for everybody, um, whether or not they want to opt into buying the running back renaissance or whether they want to go zero running back some of these strategies that they've we let's be honest if people are coming to reality sports online they are people that have explored a number of different formats and they're arriving at the best one precisely to play the way that they want to play it and you are absolutely right by the time you get to the third or fourth year of the league and antonio brown is the only significant thing there at market 
the absurdity of that cost will go so high. My, my league tends to, with Forest Flex spots, has driven it the opposite way. Receivers have, have good contracts, and they, but, and they tend to be longer contracts. But for some reason, the running back position has been so depleted that heading into our third season, we're looking at the top free agent markets uh, as guys like Crowell, guys like Hyde, guys like McKinnon, guys like Deion Lewis. And those guys, whereas they sit at average contracts, for example, Dion Lewis sits at an average contract on Reality Sports Online of $2.2 million per year, McKinnon at $1 million. Obviously, those are people that lock them in at a much better rate. If they're sitting at auction this year, I think the sky's the limit. They're, uh, in my leagues, they're going to they're gonna be pushing $25, $30 million just because of the, the serious lack of any options for, for owners to, to push their teams over the top. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, all all really free agent guys who switch teams. I I mean, uh, of the of those four guys, I'm most excited about McKinnon's role. I, I mean, some of it may be coach speak from Kyle Shanahan, but the the things that you know, the popping off the tape type comments and using him as a receiver. I I mean, I really I benefited from having Freeman, who I picked in the second round in my main league a couple of years ago, and and what Shanahan did with him. I I mean. It was almost disappointing to see Sarke- what Sarkeesian did with both Kevin Coleman and Freeman this year, just not really throwing the ball to them. And, and when you see a team like the Rams, like in McVeigh, who really utilized Gurley in a passing role and just the potential for fantasy points exploding and, and that type of thing, you, you wonder why coaches don't do it more. And, and you don't necessarily have to do it with a bell cow running back. It can turn into you know a Corey Clement type guy who, you know, can be very serviceable and, and interesting. And and so, you know, I, I, I do think McKinnon, I, you know, the hard part about him is really sample size and, and how he would serve as a running back one. So there's definitely risk in that, you know, I, I mean, that's a guy who maybe, maybe I'm throwing one year, you know, 20 million in my league or, you know, depending on the dynamics more than that, just to kind of see what he does in that, in that one year. And, and if he works out, maybe the franchise tag works the next year, or maybe you're putting two years on him just to really, just to really see what, see what he's doing. I mean, but I, you know, I, I'm, I've been somebody who not necessarily has followed the zero running back. Cause I think you liked it. I like to get my running backs in the rookie draft a lot of the time, especially if, if a team's trading up for a guy or is excited about them in some capacity and, and, and the, there's the right team fit with something. I think that, you know, rookie wide receivers have, have not hit as much other than, than the one class with Evans and cooks and OBJ and whatnot. Um, so I, I think it depends on, on some of these running backs. And, you know, I like to, I, I kind of like to go to these Swiss army knife type ones, like the Woodheads who just retired. Um, I was kind of surprised to see, see him retire. Didn't necessarily know whether he was still fantasy relevant, but thought that he was still, you know, a good football player. Um, you know, see how Chris Thompson bounced back from his injury and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I think all these running backs that you mentioned, I mean, Hyde and Crowell are a little bit different. So let's talk about those guys. What, what do you think about McKinnon, San Francisco, and you know those types that you mentioned? Yeah, I, I don't have much more to add. I think you stated well on McKinnon, like his possible upside, his potential drawbacks. Again, as someone who watched almost every snap of his NFL career, you can see the flashes of brilliance there. Um, but I will say he's never wowed me in a, in a way that other running backs have. He, I never saw and I guess I would pound tables like Coach Shanahan who's a much brighter man than me uh, for his particular skill set knowing as you say that in the real NFL and in RSO leagues you can probably chase rookies at a, at a premium contract under control for four years rather than dropping the 25 or 30 million for a year and having to deal with franchise situations also keep in mind if, if you're really in a desperate league like mine and you bust the cap for a guy like McKinnon, then his franchise tag not only becomes the top five salaries at the position for the next year, but if you go over that cap, then you just add another 10%. So it just gets astronomical quickly. It just gets beyond, it gets out of hand. And yeah. you really are staggered as you're sitting at your computer, just like staring at Jarek McKinnon on your roster for $45 million. And you're contemplating other things with your life. But um, <laughs> I think when we turn to guys like Carlos Hyde, 
who is a good player, who has had good evidence, it becomes a question of what do you think that Hugh Jackson's going to do? And what do you think if he's going to be deployed correctly, if the Browns are going to be able to, to get push for him without Joe Thomas? And here's where Reality Sports Online plugs right back into the mainstream and all those estimations that you make about a player um, you're deciding for yourself as a general manager if you would want him there. I still do. I still want I still want Carlos Hyde on my team. I'm kind of becoming a little bit more of a believer with Crowell with the Jets, especially if they're willing to like throw Teddy Bridgewater in there for a year and just see what they've got and then whatever their new I assume quarterback they're picking now that they moved up. Um but I mean you would speak more to that for sure, like given your, your fandom of the of the Browns, but I because uh, you saw Crowell and now you know where he's going. So how about those two guys? They're your team's new, your new love and your jilted ex-girlfriend. How do you feel about those two players? <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, I thought, I thought, I think that every time Crowell played in Cleveland, he, you know, he, I think the team just abandoned the run either because of game script or Hugh Jackson's incompetence and and whatnot. I, I, I mean, I I think that. I mean, both Crowell and Hyde were on similar contracts last year. Both people were pretty excited about them in the in the season. It was fourteen point two million for Hyde and thirteen point nine for Crowell. I paid, I think, nineteen and I think two years, thirty eight million or something in our experts league for for Crowell. And and I'm trying to figure out what to do with him. I I mean, I kind of like that he went to a situation that he I think he could do well in. I mean, I, I do think he's a good runner. Um, and I just think they have to be deployed correctly. I think in, in the Browns case, having Todd Haley's offensive coordinator should help. I, I, I mean, Duke Johnson's really a great pass catching back, and, and I want to make sure that the team bring, brings him back. It would be kind of weird at this point. I don't see it happening, but if, they, if the Browns somehow landed Saquon Barkley, it kind of, you know, I think that the talk in Cleveland is that they want more competition at all the positions, and John Dorsey's saying that, but I, I think – you have someone as as good as Barkley who can do it all. Why occupy three roster spots, <laughs> albeit with really good players like a Hyde and a Duke Johnson, who's a, a, an unbelievable receiver um, out of the backfield? I, you know that that seems kind of superfluous when the team has some other needs. I, you know, I I think with Tyrod Taylor and everything else, they are going to gear more towards a running game. I think there's definitely some touchdown upside on Hyde and. You know he's close to Ohio State where where he he went and, and did really well. So I I think I'd be I think I'd be buying it on Hyde and I think there are some opportunities for maybe some free agent auction upside on him if he if he becomes available or you know maybe making some trades on people who are kind of down on the Browns and and thinking that I, I think the Browns the Browns were in a decent amount of games last year and then Kaiser kind of threw them out of them so. I think having kind of more of a game manager quarterback like Taylor could help them be involved in more games. I, I don't think it's going to make a guy like Josh Gordon pop, but Josh Gordon popped with way worse quarterbacks than Tyrod Taylor. So we'll see. <laughs> so a couple things as we, as we near the end here, you and I tend to write for the site. I think there's some wisdom to be found for new RSO players in, in your general strategy articles and team build articles and We'll d- dig into that a little bit in the future. I certainly try to explore what I think is going to happen with these uh, the play calling tendencies of the Todd Haley's of the league, and I try to think about particularly running backs, but but all players really. When we get down into those scoring tendency zones within the twenty yard line, the ten yard line, the five yard line, and I try to look at play calling tendencies. I've been really fascinated by the good work of other analysts that hopefully we'll get to talk to that have highlighted some of those things um, to. But one thing you just said triggered something and I wanted to ask you about. In a, a real NFL team, it might not make sense to consolidate all the running backs in a backfield. Like if you have good players like Duke Johnson and Carlos Hyde and a potentially superlative player like Saquon Barkley. What about the Jets, though? Do you think it's a wise move as a reality sports online general manager to try to gobble up that backfield before we know how it plays out in other words it's pretty easy to see an owner getting Bilal Powell Elijah McGuire Isaiah Crowell and whatever rookie pick that they spend on a running back do you how do you feel about 
chewing up three or four of your roster spots and potential salary to, to pick the eventual winner on a team like that? Um, that's a great question. I, I tend to avoid that. It, and it's more for the roster spots than anything else. I mean, I, I think, you know, look, look at closer to home for me, look at what people did with like the Seattle backfield the last couple of years, post Marshawn Lynch. I mean, that, that's been, you know, a, a fantasy wasteland basically for running backs. I, and I mean, even though Thomas Rawls had some good games here or there, he just couldn't stay healthy. Now teams moving on from him. I, you know, maybe Chris Carson becomes the guy, but I, I don't, you know, my, my leagues are pretty thin and sometimes in the auction, I think last year in my main league auction, I had, I had already placed a guy in IR and, and some people don't know this, but when you play someone on IR pre auction, then you don't have that roster spot to get somebody until after the auction's over. So I, I think I had six or seven spaces and, and when you have team needs in, in, in certain leagues, I know we don't do it in our experts league and I'm sure we'll talk about this down the line. But like if, if you have a defense, if you have a defensive spot and a kicker spot, you, you really don't have that many guys to go after. So if you're you're using three of those spots on the Jets running backs, then, you know, then if you don't hit on like the premium free agent wide receiver or whatever position you have of need, then you're, you're really not you're kind of costing yourself some valuable fantasy assets just to try to take a expected value of the RB one in the jets offense or the Seahawks offense. And, and so I I'm, I'm not a fan of that approach. I have changed my thinking on owning receivers on the same team. I'm kind of curious what you think about that. Like I think in the past I wouldn't really go all in and have like both Thielen and Diggs, for instance. Yeah. You know what I, I do this has been spoken of credibly on the CBS sports podcast. They're the ones that hammered it the most in my mind. They started raising this idea. They had, they had some fun names for it. Um, and yes, I actually, I tried to look again through the larger, the macro lens of the play calling tendencies and offensive tendencies. And it's, it was striking to me how many years consistently that the best offenses prop up two top 24 receivers. So there's certainly no drawback to it. If you're confident in in highlighting, all right, like who's that going to be? So, for example, that you could put mine potential value there this year, right? Everybody's on Devonte Adams because Aaron Rodgers is what he is. Like I, it's hard to sit and say nice things about him as a Vikings fan, but we all <laughs> know how superlative he is. And right now, like who else is he going to be throwing to? Like it seems to me that you can you could get Devonte Adams and chase Ty Montgomery or Randall Cobb, or Geronimo Allison for really cheap contracts and figure it out. And, and you could cut them pretty quickly as you find out who that is. And so I think I do think there's wisdom in, in chasing two receivers from that are tethered to a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. And as long as you feel confident in your estimation of like who that's going to be, it's tougher when it comes to a team like the Browns, or the team like the Titans, who are more young and ascendant with really good receiving options. But I don't know if I trust Tyrod Taylor to prop up two wide receivers. And I don't know that as good as Mariota looks and as much as I love him, like I don't know if I trust him to prop up more than Corey Davis or more than Rashard Matthews. So, Right. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I think, I think we're getting towards a conclusion, but I did want to pick your brain a little bit on kind of the free agency impacts that we had from the last week or so, you know, the big signings. I just want to talk about two players in particular. And, and the first one I know is joining your Minnesota Vikings on a, on a pretty much all guaranteed deal. Um, Kirk Cousins and, and just kind of want to know what your thoughts are about him coming to Minnesota, whether that really changes where he goes in in the, quarterback rankings what your willingness to pay for him is um so what what are your thoughts i'm sorry i just i just passed out there with delight like again uh that kirk cousins exists in my world as a vikings fan but no in all sincerity i think he's uh i think he still remains close to where he was as a as a fantasy viable option he's clearly clearly a quarterback one and it depends on our listeners, I leave it to them and as general managers, how much they value that, right? Like, I don't know that he ascends to a top three. I don't know if he becomes one of those kind of extra 
seven, eight-point guys per week for you. I think he certainly has the upside of, of having weeks like that. But he's also on a team that has had last year's number one defense until they decided to take a week off against the Eagles. And, like, they truly, really are gifted on that side of the ball and have potentially gotten better on that side of the ball. So I don't know how much he's going to be asked to throw. And I don't know that he's going to be chasing 4,000 yards again. So he's a QB1. However you value those, pursue it and pay for it like a QB1. As I I told you earlier, and I don't know if I can break from this, in a Superflex league, he's worth as much as you want to throw at him. In a a single QB league, um, I think you could go chase guys like we talked about earlier that are not getting a lot of love this offseason and get get a good return on a guy, say, like uh, a Mariota or even a Winston, as much as I as I don't like chasing him. But the, I think those guys could potentially have a better return on investment because you're, you're talking probably $10, $12 million less at this point. Yeah, no, I you make some great points. I definitely agree, especially on the defensive game script type thing. I think that Redskins defense is fairly porous and gave – you know, cousins, they were often playing from behind. I I think, um, you know, a lot of fantasy analysts like to say, oh, someone's someone's my QB five or is a top 10 QB. And then it turns into the fact that they have 20, 20 quarterbacks in the top 10. Um, I I, I do think cousins probably around that QB seven or so um, with, with some upside. I think what what you are going to see out of cousins different as a Viking than a, than a Redskin is, I just think you're going to see more week to week consistency from him, given what his offensive weapons are, a better offensive line, just having having Cook, having Thielen, having Diggs, having Rudolph in in the middle of the field. I, I think that you're you are going to see more weeks, you know, and maybe that's why Case Keenum had had kind of a storybook year for himself as well. I, I think that you just have consistent weapons, and and I think that you'll you'll see that. Um, guys like Cousins won't necessarily let you down in the fantasy playoffs like they have in the past, where one week they throw for 400 yards and three touchdowns and rush for a touchdown, but you'll see a nice 250 yards and two touchdowns and you know 20 yards rushing. Very good, very good. So you had another you wanted to touch on before we we bail out of here? Yeah, well, Nick Andrews was talking, I think, in his free agency expectancy with Nick Andrews, one of our writers. Um, about Allen Robinson, guy I, ha- I have on the cheap that, you know, I did give up what turned out to be 1.02 this year to get him and, you know, a handful of other guys, maybe, you know, kind of Dixon becomes relevant. But I'm uh, kind of curious what people think about Allen Robinson on the Bears now as a still under 25-year-old receiver. Uh, so some of my favorite analysts, uh, Josh Hirschmeyer with his air yards, points out how many are available in Chicago. I think potentially Mitch Trubisky is a better quarterback than Blake Bortles, though I tend to be higher than most in Blake Bortles. I understand he's a terrible real-life quarterback, as best I understand anything about the NFL, but he's been consistently a top-10 quarterback in fantasy, which you know shows us how much we know. So Allen Robinson, in his new situation, with all those air yards available to him and the superlative talent, I think you're looking at like a 900 to 1,000 yard receiver with probably a lot of targets in the end zone because of no established options there. So you, I think if you pencil him in between 900 and 1,000 yards and 8 to 10 touchdowns, then you go chase that with the appropriate contract where you value that. What That, that comes in as a low-end wide receiver one, top-end wide receiver two. And so he's going to cost you some cash if you don't have him locked up, as some people do in leagues, too longer injury discount contracts. And so if you're chasing him in a startup though, right now, his name's as flashy as any out there, right? Like with, with the off season movement, if you're looking at a startup in RSO, you're probably going to be paying between 25 and 30 million a year for him. I think. Yeah. I, I think maybe do the injury, even though Amy, he doesn't really have an injury history. I think maybe a little bit lower than that in startups, but I, I mean, I think he is a guy that is going to produ- produce this year. And um, I, you know, I'm optimistic on him long term. It really depends to me on how Trubisky does. I I think that, you know, given that he's playing in the NFC North, which is, you know, has some pretty dynamic offenses, there should be opportunity for 
the Bears to throw the ball <laughs> more than they did under kind of a conservative John Fox regime. So I, I'm certainly looking forward to that too. But I, we have all summer to talk about players and, and free agents where they went, and and really the the kind of the game theory that we're talking that we kind of scratched the surface with on extensions and franchise tags and draft pick trades and kind of all the all the the things and trade-offs that we love about reality sports online and this great platform that Matt and um, Steven created and Kyle has augmented a lot. So I, I think that pretty much wraps up the all about reality um, podcast. Number one presented by reality sports online. I'm Matt Goodwin. I can reach at Twitter at Matt Goody two. And I'm Luke Patrick. You can reach me at fantasy doc Oc, OC on Twitter. We will talk to you all soon. Hope you enjoy. We'll